for endless days we will sing his praise. That's a long time. And my guess is it's, it's not going to be anything that's coerced. We're going to come into the presence of Jesus and we're going to fall on our face. Wow. Jesus. Jesus lived and walked on this planet for about 30, 33 years. And when he was here, he talked a whole lot about money. (laughs) Oh, boy. Maybe this is a bad week to come. I I hope not. I I hope actually you're encouraged and, and you're strengthened. But Jesus saw this something so very, very, very important. 16 of the 38 parables were concerned on how to handle money and possessions. In the Gospels, if you go through it, an amazing 288 verses deal directly with the subject of money. Yet it feels a little awkward to talk about money, and, and I have to start off with a joke. In Matthew chapter 12, you can turn there if you'd like. It's not going to be the passage we're going to dig into today. But in Matthew chapter 12, if you read that whole chapter, Jesus was really upset at those religious leaders. The scribes and the Pharisees. He was upset with them because instead of caring for God's vineyard, which was the people of Israel, they had, well, treated it as his own. Instead of cultivating the children of Israel to bear fruit for the Lord, they commandeered its resources for themselves. Instead of leading people to recognize the Son for who He is, they have seized all the good. You know, guys, it's ringing bad. I I don't know if it's me or... Yeah, okay, thank you. Um, instead uh, Instead of leading people to recognize the Son for who He is, They have seized all the goods for the sake of their own public expressions of pomp. They, these religious leaders, have taken the best for themselves. They live for honor. Their prayers are not genuine. They have devoured widows' houses. And for these reasons, their condemnation is great. Then the widow shows up at the end of Mark 12. And she puts in an offering. Let's read Mark chapter 12, starting at verse 41. And Jesus sat down near the collection box in the temple and watched as the crowds dropped in their money. Many rich people put in large amounts. Then a poor widow came and dropped in two small coins. 
Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I tell you the truth. The poor widow has given more than all the others who are making contributions. For they gave a tiny part of their surplus. But she, as poor as she is, has given everything she had to live on. Now the point, if you follow the context here, is that God is going to judge those corrupt leaders who have unjustly taken the wealth, each other's wealth. Some only had two mites or two copper coins to live on. Yet we can't miss the teaching point, the teaching moment, the teaching that Jesus was trying to help his disciples understand. In spite of a corrupt system, the widow gave out of her substance. And Jesus applauded her for her obedience and for her faith. Jesus is not saying everyone must show their obedience and faith by giving everything you have that God's given you to live on. Jesus is saying that obedience and faith make heroes. Now, I'm glad, to be quite honest, that we are at a really healthy spot in our church as we enter 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9. I just want to thank each one of you for your generosity in the midst of instability. In the midst of the crisis that all of us are in, none of us know about our jobs. None of us know what the future holds. Yet, as you can look on the very front of your bulletin, that we're at 96% of our budget. I'm grateful. I'm grateful to be part of this community that loves and trusts God in ways that are absolutely unusual. Now, for those who are newer to our fellowship, we've been spending time in 2 Corinthians. You can turn your Bibles there. We're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. But this is our 11th lesson in 2 Corinthians. And Paul continues to play one chord. And the chord is God enables each one of us to do amazing things because of our weaknesses. We all know, as we've looked at this, the church had its struggles. Yet Paul wanted them to understand the kingdom impact that they can make as ordinary jars of clay who literally walk with God. We are God's fragrance as we live our lives. We are God's ambassadors, representing God and sharing his message of reconciliation with a broken world. Paul shares the news, well, that we opened up just a few weeks ago that had to shock the Corinthians. He said to this group, this group of struggling believers in many ways, that you are the temple of God. The Spirit lives in you. And because the Spirit lives in you and lives in me, everyone who is part of God's family, 
Clean is a big deal. Clean is critical. It's repentance and confession that makes us clean and restores a relationship that has been severed because each one of us sinned. Last week, we focused on repentance. How the Christian life is one of continual repentance. That each of us at times sin. And when we sin, we break that relationship with God. And every time we sin, we have the opportunity to repent and to confess. And to have that relationship restored. And allow this spirit to be active in our lives rather than restrict it. I wonder, for those that were here last week, for those that heard that message, was this week different for you? Were you a little bit more aware of the times you offended God? And did you go quicker to God when that happened? Well, you know what? Today we come to a unique place in Paul's letter. It is inspired. In other words, God breathed 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 to Paul. But it's also inspiring as we read this. But I have to be honest. If you took this letter out of context, or if somebody, a dear friend, wrote you a letter such as, It appears in chapter 8 and 9. I bet you might feel a little manipulated. But what I want to share with you is this, is that God's word is powerful, and it affects each one of us differently. We're reminded when Paul talks to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.16 that all scripture is inspired, and it's useful to teach us what is true. And to make us realize what's wrong in our lives, the wrong paths we're going. It corrects us when we are wrong, and it teaches us to do right, so that we all might be equipped for the journey. And so I'm going to pray before we dig into 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9. But before I pray publicly, I would like you just to quietly talk to God yourself. And if this is newer for you, you might just say something like this, Lord, I don't know if I'm going to even receive all the things that you're going to say today. But God, whatever I need to hear, would you open my ears? So let's pray personally quietly, silently, and and then I'll pray. Oh, Lord, you, you are a God of compassion and mercy slow to get angry, and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. Your ways are perfect, and your actions are just. 
we're gathering here together in order to worship you, to adore you today. But Lord, again, if, if I look over this last week and I look over the, even these last few days, we've been busy. We've been harried. We've sometimes entered into the chaos. We come to you with questions about the future. We ask today that you would come, speak to us, help us hear from you today. We admit that money does have a grip on us, and we want to be free from that. We know that you are generous, and you model for us generosity, and we want to be more generous. So, Lord, increase our faith so that your church might be light and salt wherever we go. We do pray, Father, even now for the churches in our area, for the church. We know, God, that at times we're all confused. But there are churches right now that are teaching your word and equipping the saints and strengthening the flock. We pray particularly right now, Father, for Grace Point and for Emmanuel and for Living Hope. We ask, God, that you would encourage those in these flocks and that you would give those teaching strength and power. I pray even today, Father, for Camelback Baptist Bible Church. We have a pastor and his wife sitting in in our church. So I pray, Father, for that church in Phoenix. And we ask that you would work in that church, encourage them, strengthen them, as they are salt and light in Arizona. Father, we love you. And we thank you for everything. We do. But we especially thank you for the opportunity we have of gathering in your house and being with God's people. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen. Amen. Since Paul is invested and very involved in the church of Corinth, he reminds them of their journey. Maybe even just to keep everybody on the same page. He had been gone for a while, and I'm sure there's newer folks have been added to the fellowship. This is also really helpful for us as we try to understand this letter in the context that he's writing. So in the midst of the Corinthians story, Paul reinforces and shares truths. There are so many nuggets in these two chapters. And I'm not sure which one is going to be helpful or encouraging or convicting. But that is my prayer. It's been my prayer this week. It's been my prayer this morning. Lord, would your spirit be so abundantly active? Would you use your words in your church? Now, our text is long two chapters. 
And so some verses will be read and some verses will be summarized. I will encourage you again to read it, especially when you find a quiet moment. I also believe, though, that these truths were not new to the church at Corinth. This wasn't the first time they heard Paul talk about giving or generosity. Remember, Paul spent 18 months and faithfully taught the folks in this church. And I'm sure a lot of his teaching was what Jesus taught. They all knew that all of their possessions, all of their gifts, all of their bank accounts, well, actually came from a gracious God. They were gifts. And that they were to manage them well. It's odd to me, though, the way some folks talk about money today. We address the money here at Cross Point Church as the Lord's money, and, and that's rightly so. Leaders are expected to prayerfully use the Lord's money wisely and are held accountable both to God and the congregation. And this is all good. This is how it's supposed to work. Yet, when it comes to our individual bank accounts, we look at it as my money in private. Some folks hardly see their funds as the Lord's money. Or others even think that 10% of it, well, that's God's, but 90% is mine. Why is it so hard to embrace the fact that everything we have is God's? And all things come from God's gracious hand, no, no matter what. It seems prudent to ask God for wisdom in using these funds, and to ask other godly people for discernment in spending God's money. Well, I think Paul is going to help all of us understand that we're just not supposed to give. We get to give. Now, Paul understands the struggle and the grip that money has on the church. And so he begins, at least this section, with an inspiring Macedonia story. So let's look. Open your Bibles, if you would, to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. I'm going to read the first five verses. You can follow along on the screen, or you can look on your uh, flat screens. And I just want to say this. I know that we probably should make the font bigger in some of these. All right? I do. Except I had a struggle this week. I really wanted you to see all of the text while I'm teaching. It, it's going to be important that you look at it back and forth. So, so maybe you can peer down at your Bible more or, or something like that. But I, I wish it was a bigger screen or all that other kind of stuff. Okay, But anyway, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We're going to start at verse 1. Paul writes, Now I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, what God in his kindness has done through the churches in Macedonia. They are being tested by many troubles and are very poor. 
but they are also filled with abundant joy, which has overflowed in rich generosity. For I can testify that they gave not only what they could afford, but far more. And they did it of their own free will. They begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift for the believers in Jerusalem. They even did more than we had hoped, for their first action was to give themselves to the Lord and to us, just as God wanted them to do. You may not realize this, but the Jerusalem church at this time was going through extreme hardships. Rome was relentless. To follow Jesus was a very, very difficult thing to do. And what Paul did is spread the word. And the early church all over, those in Greece and those in Macedonia, and anywhere that Paul had influence, rose to the occasion. And what Paul was just even just saying, this reminding the folks, which they already knew about it, that this church was amazing. They had a great relationship with God, which enabled them to be able to be generous. Can you even imagine this? They begged again and again for the privilege to give, to help the church in Jerusalem that's going through a tough time. Now, again, not that Paul said to them, hey, really, don't, don't worry about it. You guys are hardly making it, but, but I bet there was something like that in Macedonia. But they didn't take it. You know, being a pastor for a while, I, I don't even know if anybody has ever come to me and begged to be able to give. And maybe it's happened and I just forgot it or, or whatever. But doesn't this stick out to you? Poorer congregation saying, you know what? We want to be part of this. We want to do this in order to help these other saints. They didn't even know the saints in Jerusalem, probably. They didn't understand the circumstances. They just said, I want to be part. And there was joy, which resulted in generosity, even when they've been going through trials and poverty. I'll tell you, it speaks to me today. Because sometimes I look at my circumstances and if things aren't going well, the future isn't that strong, I wonder, I wonder if I want to be as generous as maybe God is asking me to be. I lack faith at times. And I think this is an amazing story of a group of people that said, hey, we are going to trust God. And that giving is a choice. Now, this story inspires me. This story gets me excited. Because if there ever was a church that had every excuse or, it's a bad word, how about it, reason. Reason not to give. It would have been these guys, right? But they gave. Now, back to Corinthians. You can follow along up on the screen, even though it's micro font, all right? I've asked Nate 
to be able to read from us 2 Corinthians chapter 8, starting at verse 6. So we have urged Titus, who encouraged your giving in the first place, to return to you and encourage you to finish this ministry of giving. Since you excel in so many ways, in your faith, your gifted speakers, your knowledge, your enthusiasm, and your love from us, I want you to excel also in this gracious act of giving. I am not commanding you to do this, but I am testing how genuine your love is by comparing it with the eagerness of the other churches. You know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty he could make you rich. Here is my advice. It would be good for you to finish what you started a year ago. Last year, you were the first who wanted to give, and you were the first to begin doing it. Now you should finish what you started. Let the eagerness you showed in the beginning be matched now by your giving. Give in proportion to what you have. Whatever you give is acceptable if you give it eagerly, and give according to what you have, not what you don't have. Paul says this, a year ago, Titus was in your midst, Corinthian believers, and he gave a challenge. He shared with you how the church in Jerusalem was hurting, and you were so excited. You wanted to do this. In fact, you were the first church that wanted to give, and then Paul applauds them. He looks at some, what I would call, big-ticket items in the church. He says, you excel in faith. That's a big deal. You are great teachers. You excel in knowledge. Your enthusiasm is contagious. And you love. Again, as a pastor or leader in a church, I'm going, whoa, these are big things. I'll take you. This is exciting. But now Paul, under the inspiration of the Spirit, he says this. He says, I want you to excel in giving. I want you to grow in giving. All these other things are great, but but somehow he knew money and the stranglehold that it has on so many of us. Hey, I want you to be generous. No, I guess in my flesh I would sit back and say, are you kidding, Paul? Come on, aren't you ever satisfied? Look at all these really cool things that are happening in the church. And you've got to hammer one thing that they've got to grow in? Well, I want to remind you that Paul was the messenger, that God was the one that wanted them to excel or to grow. You know, it teaches me that by God's grace, there might be a whole lot of things that are going well in your journey. But I think because the goal is to become more and more like Jesus as the Holy Spirit chips away all those things that don't reflect him well, that we probably all need to grow, all of us. And so I think, again, what happens is that that Paul just says, hey, I think this is an area that you, church, need to grow in. He says this, I'm not 
commanding you. Well, it sort of feels that way, but, but to Paul it wasn't. I think it was really more of a reminder. He says, I want you to know that your giving is going to show your love. He says, I've seen other churches respond, and I'm hoping you're going to respond also. I think one of the things that have happened during this pandemic is to uh, unite, actually, the church of Jesus. As I'm on the phone, as I meet, as I talk with other pastors and other church leaders, and just, hey, how's God working in your flock? What are you doing? How are you? And, and you start asking some questions like this, and, and giving comes up. Giving and generosity comes up. And, and Paul just, just said this, hey, I, I just want you to know, you have inspired others. I'm hearing how other churches are responding, and I'm learning. So I'm hoping you're going to keep going down this path. And then Paul focuses on Jesus. How cool and how amazing this is, the person that we're becoming like. He is the ultimate loving and sacrificial and generous person. Jesus was rich, yet because of his love for us, his generosity, he became poor. Then Paul gives some practical advice that, to help this church move forward. He says, finish it. Finish it. You started something. You said you were going to do it. Finish I think it's a big deal to Paul and a principle in life. If you were to walk out of our pastoral offices, you, you would see a door. <laughs> That's because you walk out. And above the door, there's this decal. Finish it. It was something, again, that, that my dad drilled into me. Almost anybody that hung out with my father, whatever the ministry was, it was something that he would talk about often. Finish it. I love hearing the stories of sacrifice growing up, reading so many biographies of people and organizations. I remember growing up in my home church, Emmanuel Bible Church, a church, again, that most filled with blue-collar workers. They didn't have huge bank accounts. But I saw a church grow in building and in outreach. And over and over, the, the people gave sacrificially. I remember talking to folks who went to Willow Creek in the early years. And whatever you think about Willow, Willow is a church that's made a huge kingdom impact in our area, and I'm grateful for them. But in the early years, I remember the challenges there and couldn't believe people were remortgaging their houses so that they might be able to give toward a ministry. I look at Silver Birch. In the early years especially, the folks that literally gave way beyond anything they could imagine and some 50 years later, God's still using it. 
I look back at Cross Point Church and the history here and the sacrifices that people made, not only in missionaries and lives and ministry, but even in building. Imagine them taking the challenge to build a worship center like this back in those days. And people gave sacrificially in order to see that happen. Paul says something like this. It would be embarrassing because I've been telling everybody, Corinth Church, you started this, you're generous, you're giving away, but, but it might be embarrassing if you don't finish. You told me you would do this. You made a commitment. And I want you to do this from a generous heart. Now, again, that sounds harsh. It sounds manipulative. But I think really what Paul was saying is, hey, if you don't want to finish, why don't you check your heart? Maybe you've been, well, it's foggy for you. Maybe you don't recognize, again, the impact that you're going to make, the grace that God is going to use because of you. Maybe you've gotten a little bit more selfish, self-centered. Why don't you check your heart? Because I think it's really important that you finish. Now, Paul continues to share truth. So many different truths. I'm going to ask Jackie to read for us 2 Corinthians chapter 9, starting at verse 6. Remember this. A farmer who plants only... Remember this. A farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop. But the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully... And God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. As the scriptures say, they share freely and give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. For God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. In the same way, he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. Yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. And when we take your gifts to those who need them, they will thank God. So two good things will result from this ministry of giving. The needs of believers in Jerusalem will be met, and they will joyfully express their thanks to God. As a result of your ministry, they will give glory to God. For your generosity to them and to all believers will prove that you are obedient to the good news of Christ. And they will pray for you with deep affection because of the overflowing grace God has given to you. Thank God for this gift too wonderful for words. Now let me remind you again, we're, we're moving quickly through this, but, but Paul starts off sharing a story, then goes specifically and talks about the church and their giving. He shares with them a little bit of their journey and and how uh, it's so important to be accountable with these funds. And then Paul talks back at this church and just encouraging, he finished. 
Finish in chapter 9, verses 1 to 5. Finish what you started. It's so very, very, very important. And now some more practical truth. He's just trying to inspire them at this moment. Not even necessary to beat them up, but, but to help them recognize that generosity is huge. It's a blessing. And he starts off saying this, plant for a generous crop. Do you understand that farmers, when they put out lots of seed, there is lots of harvest. And that's how he wants you to look at funds. As you give, the ministry is going to multiply. You are going to, again, understand how rich and how powerful and wonderful God is as we give. And he says, you decide what to give. It it doesn't, again, um, depend on how much. It depends on a heart, no matter what circumstance or situation you're in, and saying, you know what? God, I get to give. Back to you, some of the funds that you have lent me. Then Paul says something very unique. Uh, It really kind of goes against our grain in some ways. But in verse 7, For God loves a person who is a cheerful giver. A cheerful giver. Don't don't feel obligated to give. God loves people that understand that they get to be part of God's kingdom work. Cheerfully is literally uh, the Greek word that we get the word hilarious. Give hilariously. Give cheerfully. Give, recognize that that God is a great God, is a big God, is a wonderful God. And you and I get to be part of his kingdom work. You can give because God is active in your life. You can give because God is working in your life. You desire to see not only all of your gifts and your talents, but your money to be invested. In fact, God will take care of all your needs. It reminds you, and it goes back to Jesus' teaching on the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. Seek first his kingdom. Pay attention to what moves the kingdom forward. Because if you do that, if you trust me, I will take care of all your needs. What's so exciting, if we understand this text, is that God literally gives you enough so you can always be generous. What a blessing. So God gives you funds so that you might be able to bless others. Again, it's a different way of looking at it. Because I think, again, as we walk with God, our focus is a little bit 
different than those that don't have God themselves. When many people get bonuses or whatever, unexpected money, oftentimes it's, whoa, how can I spend this? Maybe God does give it to you to spend something on yourself. I, I don't know. But I know this, is that God always gives us enough to be generous to others. You see, your generosity, Paul says, is God's provision for another church. Another church where so many of the people are losing their jobs. Another church that's going under extreme persecution. They're not, well, receiving some of the normal funds that they would even have. But you, you get to be part of God's provision in the Jerusalem church. You also know that your giving is going to bring God great glory, great honor. And that your obedience will show your faith. I love the last part in this section where Paul says this, and even just so you know, you're going to get prayer support. People are actually going to be praying for you as a result of your generosity. Then Paul ends up this way, this text. Thank God for his generosity, his gift, too wonderful for words. As you spend time with Paul, you see that he is relentless when he's talking about God's grace and God's generosity. Because of God's generosity, our lives are so different. Do you realize that that's the illustration he is using in encouraging this church to finish up their giving? He's going, look at the impact that Christ's generosity made in your life. Do you realize the impact that your generosity is going to make in other people's lives? You know, as I wrap up, our lesson for today, lots of stuff there. Lots of verses. But I think it's such a critical text for believers for the church. Because no matter what stage of life we are in, it takes faith to give. God continually chips away everything in a believer's life that doesn't reflect him well, doesn't mirror him well to our culture, to our people. God gave and God gives. God is generous beyond imagination. And so anytime we are generous, it reflects God well. It is because of God's grace that we have what we have. We don't have to give. We get to I'm wondering even now, as a church, in spite of your generosity, I wonder if God is preparing us to be used differently, better, in this neighborhood, in our surrounding area, 
maybe in our world. Maybe God's preparing us in our hearts to make a difference because we are a generous church. You know, there are so many stewardship or management principles in the scriptures, and we didn't hit hardly any of them. But I trust as you heard God's word today, maybe there's a nugget, maybe there's a, 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 a point. He said, yeah, God, I, I'm doing okay there. And maybe there's some conviction. And maybe there's some encouragement. I guess ultimately, let's continue to walk with God together and make a difference, investing well our time, our treasures, and our talents. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your grace. I even thank you for the letter that Paul wrote, how? hundreds of years ago to remind us of the blessing you've given us. We all have been given funds. We all have the opportunity to invest them. Invest them in things that are count or invest them in ourselves. God, would you teach us. Teach us as a church. Teach us as families. Teach us as individuals how you want us to use the blessings you've given us. Would we have a reputation of blessing others quickly and well? Because that's your heart, God. We pray all these things in your son's name.